This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Hey, I want to let you know that support for the Green and Bold podcast comes from Manscaped, which is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Ah, yes, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Fellas, it's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your chestnuts. It's also waterproof, so you use it in the shower. A little added bonus there. The Lawnmower 2.0 comes inside their Perfect Package 2.0, which makes for the perfect gift this holiday season. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. Yeah, I hope you do not need me to tell you this, but do not use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your jewels. That's a no-no. The Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. I mean, you already put deodorant on your own armpits, right? Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? So now you know. Tis a season of Manscaped. Get yourself the best gift of all, the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. One more thing. Get 20% off and free shipping with using the promo code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. Your chestnuts will thank you. Welcome back, everybody. We're here on the Green and Bold Podcast. I'm Joe Stiglitz, alongside David Feldman. David, good to be back here with you. Yeah, this is awesome. This is going to be a fun episode. It really is. Thanksgiving week here. I, I'm thankful that the Green and Bold Podcast is up and running, and yes. we're, we're doing it. We got it underway. We got some listeners, and it's been fun so far, man. It's been awesome. It's been an awesome experience. We love the interaction. Uh, people on Twitter hitting us up. Uh, we tried a little poll this week. We might do some more of that to get your input because that's what this is about. It's just not about Joe and I. It's about you guys, the fans, as well. Yeah, no doubt. And you're right. This one is going to be fun. We decided to pick. Look, we just finished the 2019 season. We're going to do the A's All-Decade Team. We saw this bandied about a bit on Twitter a little bit and just thought it was a, a great idea. And it was it was fun and challenging. And what's cool is we have not seen each other's list yet at all. No. We, we haven't even consulted. We haven't talked about it, really, except agreeing that we're going to do it. Yeah, so, it's true. Should be fun. I'm curious to see how it turns out between the two of us here. Yeah, and, and we're on the – now, we know a decade actually is from one to zero. We get that, but because everybody else goes from zero, in this case 10, to nine, we're going to go with the flow and be uh, joiners. There you go. But uh, So don't don't give us letters. There's not really a decade. Yeah, we Right. Know. We're talking players eligible from who played for the 2010 A's through the 2019 A's, and we want one person, one guy – Per position, first base, second base, shortstop, third base, catcher, DH, uh, three outfielders, yep. five starting pitchers, four relievers, three bench players is the way we decided to make our roster. So, hey, when you were doing this, anything just kind of jump out at you, surprise you, or that you found difficult or just something that kind of jumped out at you and the challenges of putting this team together? Some positions were pretty easy one guy would just stand out that's your guy other positions not so much and also just remembering some of the players that have been around in these last 10 seasons yeah. of A's baseball and they've obviously gone through a lot but you go back to 2010 and you go well, Landon Powell's part of your Oakland Athletics right. in that year right you know and other guys who would just kind of show up and through this whole thing in this decade of A's baseball except for a year and a half of Bob Guerin Bob Melvin's been the yeah. manager the right. whole time yeah you're right. So we picked the manager on this team. There wouldn't be much debate just because the longevity and the success that Bob Melvin has had. You're right. Uh, yeah, for me, I um, there are some guys who, when I was thinking about this off the top of my head, I thought, okay, I'm gonna have to consider so and so, like a like a Justin Dukeshire type, sure. type person. I was convinced that 
his body work, his best body work, at least some of it had kind of trickled into this decade, but no, it was before that. So yeah. it's funny as time goes by, you're thinking some guys had to have been part of the A's in 2010 or really contributing at that part and not always the case. That was kind of interesting, eye-opening to me too, some of these guys I was thinking back on. Yeah, no, that's, it's true about Justin Dukeshire because the name does come up because he pitched in 10 and 11, yeah. but he was, you know, obviously his all-star years before right. that. Uh, here's a name that came up to me that I think most people in the A's organization thought would be the second baseman of the decade, and that's Jamal Weeks. Yeah, I know. I mean, you look back at the 2011 season, uh, and he was on all the pocket schedules. Yes. He was on all the stuff they were publicit, uh, the publicity for the team. It was Jamal Weeks. He was the guy. Yeah. Didn't turn out that no, way. He was at, he was a stud in 2011. That was a crossover from Garen being let go, uh, Bob Melvin coming on board. And you're right, he was their best player that year. And in 2012, maybe a little bit too much came a little bit too soon for him, maybe because he was kind of projected as the face of the franchise and just kind of, yeah, didn't didn't hear much from Jamile after that uh, really impressive 2011. Yeah, he, he hit those couple home runs at the beginning of the season in 2012 in Anaheim. And it was like his swing almost got home run happy after yeah. that and he never readjusted to just putting the ball on the ground using his yeah. legs and being a hitter yeah. you're not a power guy Jamal. <laughs> hey let's get to this team here all decade team from 2010 to 2019 david why don't you start us off here first baseman all right first base so as what i'm going to do is i'm going to give you some of the guys who were not my pick but just some names that uh that came to me who were close there you go and uh for me some of the guys who just missed were Brandon Moss, who played a lot of first and played a lot of the outfield and obviously a big power hitter, had a big impact on the A's playoff year, especially in 2012 when he came up in June of that year and then just became a power force in 13 and 14. Uh, Yonder Alonso, who was an all-star first baseman for the Athletics. And really that was his best season, maybe best half a season, really. He he was a home run hitter. Uh, He was the defender we all thought he would be. And another guy who played a lot of A's first base, A's fans love him or they hate him, Derek Barton. <laughs> they couldn't get rid of Derek Barton. No. Derek Barton, they they designated for assignment three different times, and no one claimed him, and he kept showing up. And all of a sudden in 2014, in a playoff year, he's your starting first baseman going down the stretch. Derek Barton played more games at first base. I think he's third all-time in games at first behind uh, McGuire and Giambi. Uh but he was not my first baseman of the decade. Uh, <laughs> my first baseman of the decade is Matt Olson. And, yes, it's only been two and a half years, but what a two and a half years it's been. Two gold gloves, 86 home runs, 212 runs batted in, an OPS of almost 870. Uh, and what he's meant for this team is it's turned into a playoff contender, a 97-win team. And I think we really felt how important Matt Olson is when he was missing for the month of April here in 2019. Right, good point. Uh, not just offensively, but defensively. I just think, yes, it's a, it's a current guy, but compared to those other guys, he's had more of an impact and has had better numbers than everybody else who's played first base for the A's in this decade. Yeah, I cannot disagree with you there, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on this one. For me, this, was, this wasn't all uh, a super tough one for me at first base. I went with Matt Olson as well. He was the clear guy, I think. Uh, a couple of the guys you mentioned, I also considered they're on my list. By the way, part of the fun of this list was I could have done all the research typing away on my laptop, but I wanted to get a pen. <laughs> I got a big yellow pad. I wanted the satisfaction of scribbling out names, crossing them out. Nice. Big, deep sigh, putting my hand on my forehead, trying to figure <laughs> things out. I felt like that kind of an assignment. So I got some names crossed out. Uh, Brandon Moss, very versatile. Um, 
perhaps a candidate at other positions on this team. We'll Definitely. see here. But, um, yeah, I went with Matt Olson. Just two-way excellence. Essentially, back-to-back 30 homer seasons. Finished at 29 one year. Back-to-back gold gloves. And all the great plays we're seeing on the left side of the infield with Chapman and Simeon. A lot of those come to completion with Matt Olson making a nice pick in the dirt or reaching high for a nice ball yeah. just like that. I mean, he's the he finishes off a lot of these nice plays we're seeing in this in this standout A's infield lately. So uh, that's a sweep for us. First base, we both picked Matt Olson. How about we move on to second base? Well, just a couple other first baseman names just Go to, re- just to remember people, remind people who played first base for the A's in the decade. How about Nate Fryman? Yeah. Had a couple of big moments. Big moments. Big uh, 18th inning walk-off single against Mariano Rivera. That ball is in the Jewish Baseball Hall of Fame, by the way. There you go. Which there I you saw go. in Baltimore a few years ago. Chris Carter. Lots of big home runs for the Athletics. He did. Uh, Connor Jackson from Cal. Uh, actually had a first inning grand slam once. Never really panned out, but the A's took a flyer on him. And Ike Davis. Ike Davis was your ace starting first baseman. He was for one year. You're right and, about uh, that. He also took the mound a couple times. He did. He did. <laughs> Much like his dad. Yeah. Uh, we've had a few guys at first base, but yeah, Matt Olson, number one. So now, moving on to second base, and Joe, you take the lead here. Who's your second baseman? Yeah, I tell you what, we'll do. I'll keep the same kind of formula. Some guys that we could have. Uh, I could have considered here Mark Ellis um, great body work with the A's just so much of it was pre-2010 what a great clubhouse guy just what a solid contributor Um, Ben Zobrist very short time with the A's but a super versatile guy was their main second baseman Uh, bounced around a little bit I think that that half season of 2015 before he got dealt to KC in a trade that eventually netted Shamanaya um eric sogard right the face the face of the american league doing that one (laughs) fan poll right that's right where they did mlb network did the face of the franchise and the face of the league eric sogard emerged as the number one american league player in that poll lost out to david wright for all the major leagues what a cool moment that was for one spring train for eric sogard uh i had jamile weeks down on my list that's how i was looking at jamile's uh one really great season with the a's but um for me it was jed lowry uh this is so much in so many ways when you look at the middle of the a's infield it was a jed lowry decade uh, he had two different stints with the A's, uh, came in a trade from Houston with Chris Carter, Brad Peacock, Max Stassi going to the Astros, and he's with the A's from 13 to 14. That first season, he was healthy, which was a question mark for him Big time. in years prior with the Red Sox, had 45 doubles that season, contributing to a division winner. Um, <clears throat> a couple years later, he ends up signing with the Astros after leaving the A's after 14. Guess what? He gets traded by the Astros for the second time back to the A's before 2016 for pitcher Brendan McCurry. Uh, Three more years with Oakland, and this time, whereas the first stint played a lot of shortstop, now with semi at shortstop, Jed had a chance to settle in at second base. Really did a nice job uh, when he was healthy. I think two of those years, he had really good health um, and just terrific final two seasons in, in green and gold. Oakland record. 49 doubles in 2017. He was an all-star in 18, hit 23 home runs. He had 99 RBIs that year. He just came back. It seemed like it was always a question of health with Jed. And um, he had a surgery for the deviated septum he had. He Mm -hmm. said he was able to sleep a lot better. He said he felt like a new person after undergoing that. And it seemed to, like, really make a difference on the field. When he was healthy, um, he was rock solid for this A's team. And Jed Lowry is my second baseman for the decade. And I 100% agree with you. Um, you know, when he got traded back to the A's, the two, 2016 season was kind of a loss for him. He was injured. He had the feet problem. Um, but he comes back healthy in 2017 and put up maybe one of the best seasons by an A's second baseman of all time. He's 49 doubles yeah. and over 800 OPS. But he comes back in 2018, and he was he was better. You know, those doubles started turning into home runs. So he hits 23 homers 
37 doubles and 99 runs batted in. And what really impressed me about him was his defense. Because when he played short, especially his last game with the A's as a shortstop, the 2014 wildcard game, he had no range. He couldn't get to the ball. And even in 2016 when he played, you could see, I don't know if this is going to work. But getting healthy changed everything. All of a sudden, he had good range. He was robbing guys of hits. He was making the plays. He was turning the double play. Um, and a leader on this team. Um, you know, Jed Lowry, the Stanford guy, uh, his first go around, there was always talk, a little bit of an attitude and this and that, and maybe he's not really meshing. We didn't see that when he was healthy and playing well in 17 and 18. Um, he was such a good second baseman for the A's. By, by far, to me, he was the number one second baseman of the decade. Interesting you bring up the, 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 the attitude, too. His second stint at that point, Marcus Semien is entrenched at shortstop and trying to still find his way as a major league everyday shortstop. I think Jed was a good compliment to him in that second, that double play combo there. Yeah. And you know, another thing that happened, I'm not sure. I think it was the 2018 season. Uh, Donaldson, uh, Donaldson uh, uh, Matt Chapman got hurt and Jed Lowry moved over to third base for two weeks That's right. and without a complaint. And they were really worried about that. I mean, Jed was a creature of habit and he liked, but he, it's best for the team. I'm going to move over to third. And he played really well over there uh, while Chapman was out. I, he was just a different guy in that second stint. And there's a, a big reason why the A's were so successful, especially in 2018. No doubt about that. Jed Lowry. Okay, so we're agreeing so far. First yeah. base, second base. How about we uh, move over one spot left side of the infield? Let's tackle shortstop. Shortstop, I think, is pretty much a no-brainer. Kind of the easiest one for me, too. You know, he started playing as the everyday shortstop in 2015. That's five seasons as an A's shortstop, half the decade, and that's Marcus Simeon. Yeah. Um, and we know the story. We know this guy who couldn't field when he first came over here. Error after error. Uh, showed some punch his second season at the bat with 27 homers. But last year, the MVP's year, I just putting everything together and, and watching him grow as a person, as a hitter. Uh, and now you look at it in the decade, 717 games as the A's shortstop with 100 homers and 322 RBIs in a defense that's now second to none. Um, I don't think there's any question it was Marcus Simeon. I look at the guys who also played short in the decade for the A's and guys like Cliff Pennington, who started off the early in the decade as your shortstop. Adam Rosales got a lot of time as short. Um, the A's made a trade for Stephen Drew to play shortstop at one point. Um, you know, Other guys who didn't make it out of there was Steve Tollison, Arismendi Alcantara, Andy LaRoche. I mean, these guys, they, they went through guys. And Simeon took hold of it, and it's his job, and he earned it. And by far, number one shortstop of the decade. Yeah, I'm with you there. And we've discussed before on here, um, hats off, credit to the A's for sticking with him when it looked like, you know, that first year, 2015, it was such a struggle defensively. They said he's going to be our guy. And Marcus, thank you to anybody. Marcus had the confidence in himself that, you know what, I'm going to turn this around. He got help from Ron Washington, but he put in the work. He did. And um, couldn't have been easy mentally every day coming back and having the struggles he was. But, man, molded himself into a guy who's been a Gold Glove finalist the past two years, a top three MVP guy this season. You're right, what a transformation. Pretty much a no-brainer pick, Marcus Semyon, for your shortstop of the decade. That gives us to third base. And now we have probably our, our first big battle, our battle for top third baseman of the decade. I would agree with you there. This was the toughest one for me. It was definitely the toughest spot around the diamond for me. It's my turn. It my is your going? turn. All right, I'll lead it off here. Um, you got Matt Chapman on one hand. You got Matt Chapman, who's we know what he's what he's meant to this team the past couple of years. I mean, thought of as the best, you know, voted the best, basically the best defensive player in the American League the past two years, winning the platinum platinum glove. Um, 
You've got Josh Donaldson, who was uh, number four, fourth in the MVP race in 2013. Um, I went back and forth on these guys, David. I went back and forth. Stats-wise, I had to go beyond the cold, hard stats because each guy's got a great case, I think. You couldn't go wrong going with either guy, I think. Um, it gets a bit subjective, you know, and personalized, who you prefer, what kind of things you consider. I went with JD. I went with Josh Donaldson. I went with Josh Donaldson because... To me, when he emerged in 2013, he gave the A's a bona fide star when it felt like they hadn't had a guy like that in a long time. And I realized that UNS Cespedes was on the roster at that time. But to me, Donaldson was on another level, and the national buzz he got. Um, and then he has the fourth-place finish in the MVP race in 13. At that point, it was the highest finish by an athletic since Frank Thomas finished fourth in 06. And he's an all-star game starter the next year in 14. I gave a lot of bonus points for that, too, just because fans vote on that. To me, it's a big prestige thing. I believe he was the first guy voted in on a fan vote to start in the all-star game since uh, Giambi in 2000. Um, so, And then, you know what? I, the guy's story. He comes up through the minor leagues as a catcher, uh, realizes that he's blocked by Kurt Suzuki, Landon Powell. The A's traded for Derek Norris. Josh Donaldson was not going to get to the uh, be a regular major leaguer as a catcher. Um, and after the 2011 season, he actually goes to the Dominican Republic, says, I want to learn to be a third baseman, puts in time in winter ball there, comes back spring of 2012. Scott Sizemore gets hurt, who was looking like a good candidate yes, for third base at that time. That was a tough break for Sizemore hurting his knee in spring training. And Donaldson takes over, doesn't spend the whole year up in the majors because he struggled a little bit at times, but he was there in the stretch run in 2012, finished out, obviously exploded in 13, all-star starter in 2014, and um, – just, I just think he was a—he uh, was the guy I went with for some of the intangibles as far as the star power when the A's needed a guy like that. Um, again, I kept, I kept thinking, how can I keep a guy like Chapman off this starting roster at third base? And uh, but eventually, I, I went with JD. I'm curious to see how you thought this went through. Well, their numbers are so similar. Um, you know, Josh Donaldson, who was such a big part of those A's teams. But you look back, you go, he was only the third baseman for two years and two months. Right. Uh, it seems like he was there a lot longer, yeah, because he did come up as a catcher. Mm -hmm. um, so you look at games played at third for the A's. Matt Chapman, 385. Josh Donaldson, 377. The same, right? Eight games difference. Uh, Chapman, 74 homers. Donaldson, 60 homers. I know, yeah. But RBIs, Chapman, 199. Donaldson, 218. Uh, OPS, Chapman's at 841, Donaldson's at 821. Uh, the thing that made the difference for me uh, and why I went with Matt Chapman was the two gold gloves yeah. or the two platinum, platinum gloves, gloves right. if you really want to go for it. Um, I think that was just the difference. And Donaldson was a tremendous fielder right. as well, not in the same league as Chapman. Chapman is, has changed the way third baseman is being played. Third base is now he's playing deep. Right? You never used to see a third baseman play deep, but because of his arm strength, he's able to play deeper and rob guys. And when I talk to fans or friends and family and they're going to their first A's game, I always tell them to watch Chapman and watch where he positions himself, especially if the infield's playing in, because you'll see the first baseman in, the second baseman, the shortstop in, and there's Chappie hanging out back in a normal position at third because he knows he can still throw a guy out at the plate from third because of his arm. Right. Um, that confidence he has, the way he plays in the shift, you know, is, is his battles with uh, Gordon as he tries to bunt the ball and he's, gonna, he's still going to throw him out. Um, 
I've never seen a guy dominate a game defensively quite like Chapman does. Um, and I think that's what put him ahead for me than Donaldson. Donaldson was so important to the A's. As you mentioned, in those playoff years, teaming with Cespedes and, and being that middle-of-the-order threat and just scary and clutch. Um, but Chapman's got that little clutch in his too. No doubt. We've seen it. No doubt. That home run he hit in Anaheim this year and a week where the A's could not get a hit with Ronald Oh, the end of the season? Crushed that ball to center field. Crushed that ball. Crushed it. And the A's needed that game. It was so important for the A's to get that home field advantage, and I truly believe they would not have gotten it if they had lost that game to the Angels. Uh, And he comes up with a two-run homer and just crushed it. And that's to me, that's Matt Chapman. That's why he's my pick. Yeah, I can't disagree with anything you said, and that's why I went back and forth on this. And, you know, when it comes to defense, it's funny. Chapman is so good that I think sometimes it's easy to forget how good Donaldson was at third base, especially for a guy who converted the position. 2014, he won a Fielding Bible Award for third base, which means a group of of defensive sabermaticians who think about nothing but this (laughs) kind of stuff voted him the best third baseman defensively in all of baseball that year. So um, I gave him credit for that. I kind of feel like... The current A's team that Chapman's a part of is a little bit more loaded offensively. When when Chapman goes into a dip, the A's can still get by offensively, whereas Donaldson, he was such a key part of that team. And maybe we're talking about value then more than just third baseman. I guess you can you could you could weigh different things, but um, again, different criteria. You, you flip a coin. To me, you can't go wrong with either guy. I'm kind of glad we got some <laughs> contrast here for different. the first time in our teams. You went Matt Chapman, I went Josh Donaldson. Where are we going next? Well, these are the third basemen we didn't pick. We didn't pick Danny Valencia. We didn't pick Ryan Healy. Kevin Kuzminoff. The guy they traded Donaldson for, Brett Lowry. Mm-hmm. Brandon Inge did not get the pick. Although he had some big moments for the A's when he was healthy. 2012, right? He was, yeah. a big, he was a big guy for Walk parts off of that Grand season. Slam. Right, right, right. Actually, he got hurt, and that's what allowed Donaldson to take over at third base down the stretch exactly. there, too. Exactly. Right. Uh, the aforementioned Scott Sizemore. Uh, Trevor Plouffe. Yeah, had a year with the A's. And uh, Aki Iwamura, who came over in a, a late September and played a little third base for the A's. But none of them, obviously, could touch either Chapman or Donaldson. Uh, either one could be uh, your pick. So now we go to left field. And uh, I tried to stick to somebody who played mostly left, but he had a little center and a little DH. But to me, he was the most impactful player of the A's in the decade. He changed the Oakland Athletics, and that's Yoannis Cespedes. Uh, when the A's signed him out of Cuba, uh, you know, something that we hadn't seen the A's do, go into the international market and come out with a guy as, as the winner for a talent like this. And this was a pure talent. This was a dynamic player the A's hadn't had. Uh, he could change the game offensively, defensively, and with his speed. Um, his first home run was hit in Japan in the Tokyo Dome of Sean Kelly, uh, that ball's still going. Uh, And we saw that right away. You're like, oh, my. The ball comes off his bat differently. This is, dare I say, a Canseco-esque off his bat. Oh, absolutely. And just the the impact that he had up and down the lineup. Um, You know, you don't win in Major League Baseball without dynamic players, right? And you look, look at why the Astros have been so successful. They have a whole slew of dynamic players. Athletes. From Springer, Correa, Altuve, Bregman. Uh, it's just up and down the order. Uh, Cespedes was that guy. He was the guy every pitcher was afraid to face. And he just changed the culture of the A's. He made the A's, in my opinion, a, a winning team. And the trade of Yoannis Cespedes in July of 2014 destroyed this team for a few years. 
more so than the Donaldson trade, I thought you got it, your team. You got it. An AC that was in first place, that was the best team in baseball in the first three months of 2014, and you traded away your number three hitter. It was such a huge mistake. You know, one, only one other first place team has ever made a midseason trade of their number three or four hitter. That was the Oakland A's in 1992 when they traded Jose Canseco. <laughs> and that trade, they got back Ruben Sierra. They were getting back what they thought was a pretty impactful bat, at least. They were. And again, a team that lost in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. You don't trade your three or four hitter. You don't gut a team like that. And and that one gut, that gut at the athletics. But he's my, he's my left fielder of the decade. Cespedes, when you look back at his time with the A's, he has almost kind of a mythical aura about him to me. And it started from the time you talk about when they signed him. It was kind of a, a surprise signing that they went after a guy like this. He was so toolsy, such a physical specimen. And it felt like when he arrived, he was still so much of an unknown because you didn't know. You didn't know how it was going to translate to the major leagues. And they needed him to be kind of a major league ready guy as they brought him in on that four-year, yeah, $36 million deal. They spent big at that time. That was a big spend big money. Um, on an international guy like that who was still kind of an unknown quantity. But the mythical quality about him, do you remember the video, the service to him, right? The video of him that his representation put together of him running sprints and doing vertical jumping. leaps. Jumping. Uh, bench pressing 350 pounds. The shot of him. Well, the, the roasted pig on the rotisserie. Right. <laughs> he was, you're just like, what is this all about? There was so much mystery and intrigue about him. And then he backed it up with the numbers. He was so good. You're right. The pure power, the throwing arm, the throwing the throw that got Howie Kendrick out of the plate in Anaheim, Anaheim. in 2014. It's going to be shown over and over on MLB Network forever. Um, and what about the stat they used to always show? A's record with Yoannis with in, him the in the lineup, lineup compared, yeah. I mean, it was just, it was such a huge difference. It was yeah. a cavern of difference. Yeah. Uh, the difference he made when he played. Um, and, you know, looking back at his numbers, now you go, oh, that kind of pedestrian. He only played 129, 135 games, 20 homers, 80 RBIs. But the impact that he had was so much yeah. greater than those numbers. And he was the guy that opposing pitchers would fear when you look at the A's lineup. 100%. Right. It changed. And, you know, ha and pairing with Donaldson. Right. You know, having that 3-4, that 2-3, three, three, mattering where they're, where they're batting. It was a hard twosome to go through. I mean, they, they were scary. I... I I was so excited as an A's fan to get to watch Cespedes play. Um, I guess you can, you can tell my excitement. Dynamic players yeah. thrill me, and that right. that's what he was. Yeah, no doubt about that. Okay, we both go Ioannis in left field. Pretty uh, pretty not so challenging call there, I think, on that one. No, if you look back at the other left fielders in 2011, Josh Willingham had a terrific year for the yeah. A's. Uh, he had 29 homers. 98 runs batted in, played almost 100 games and left. He DH'd a little bit of other. He was he was a guy who I thought, you know, if he played more years. Um, he was always funny because they, they, he was on a one-year deal and they talked about, you know, you want to resign with Oakland. And he always said the right things, right? I asked, I love it here. This is great. He had no, <laughs> no idea. He was not going to sign with Oakland. That was never going to happen. But he said the right things. He, yeah, he came along at a time when the A's kind of were power-starved too. They had Jack Cust for a couple years. Yep. At that time, you were – it was slim pickings as far as like RBI power guys in the middle of the line. He filled quite a void just for that one year he was with the A's, no doubt. He really did. Other left fielders, Matt Joyce, Seth Smith, Johnny Gomes, Gabe Gross. You know, all these guys are the same guy. You realize that when you <laughs> right. start looking at these names, you go, yeah, they're all pretty much the same. Uh, Nick Martini, who actually was very good for the A's in 2018, who just got picked up by the Reds today, I believe, uh, as we record this. And last year, Robbie Grossman. Again, these are all the same guy, um, and they're fine, but they're nowhere near the impact that a guy like Ioannis Cespedes had. 
Should we move over to center field here? Center field, Joe. Center field, uh, another player whose impact kind of went beyond the raw stats for me. Um, when he was healthy, really the spark plug um, of the A's. And uh, center field, I mean, you had some you had some candidates here. I gave some consideration to a guy like Ramon Laureano. Uh, Rajay Davis uh, tried to spark big-time speed out in center field, running balls down. But for me, Coco Crisp, uh, when I look back at those that postseason streak from 2012 to 14, um, he was so much the spark plug of that team in so many ways. I look back, here's, well, I look at his value. I look at some of the individual things that Coco did throughout his time with the A's. 2011, he leads the AL with 49 stolen bases. 2013, he actually hit 22 home runs. Um, and just the, the total package of what he could do, how he could impact the game. Now, he was hurt a lot. He was hurt a lot, wasn't always in there, but what an impact he had when he was in there. I think it goes beyond just the numbers he posted, which are impressive, but I think back to 2012, had Jamile Weeks in the leadoff spot early on. Now, a lot of things were going wrong early in 2012. A's were 28 and 35. I think it was on June 14th or 28 and 35. Coco takes over in the leadoff spot. From that point on, the A's go 66 and 33 to finish out that regular season and eventually overtake Texas for the division. I know a lot of things went right. They added power. They got good pitching. They solidified the back end of the bullpen, but Coco was such a big part of that. Um, and you know what? I give big points for coming through in big moments in the postseason. How about 2012 ALDS delivers a walk-off hit in game four at the Coliseum? That that place was going nuts, you know, to force a game five against Detroit there. So um, for me, for me, it was Coco. He meant so much um, to this franchise in so many ways. Again, when he was healthy, and uh, he was a dynamic player. So he's my center fielder, Coco Crisp. I'm with you. Uh, Coco Crisp was the A center fielder for a long time in the decade, from 2010 to, to late 2016. Um, the injuries did play a part in it, uh, but when he was healthy, uh, hits for doubles, hits triples, steals bases, very good defender out in center field. And, you know, there were times where Coco's attitude kind of went here or there, but he kept re-signing with the A's. He wanted to be in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And, you know, big Raider fan. He liked the crowd. Um and you want guys who want to be there. And he was so important. And you talk about even 2012, game one, he leads off game one with a with a home run off Justin Verlander. Now the A's go on to lose the game, but hello, we're in the playoffs, and Coco just had a leadoff homer off Verlander. I don't think the A's ever scored again off Verlander. <laughs> but uh, no, big moments. Um, looking at some of the other center fielders, I, I had also written down Ramon Laureano, again, an impactful player, uh, a guy who's on his way to being a dynamic player. Uh, I think we see it from all facets of the game, but I think his future is in right field. Uh, Rajay's had a great major league career. Uh, he's one of those guys who's played for a really long time in the majors. He's a really good guy, and he's very productive. Uh, even this year, he went back to the minors. He's, what, 37, 38 years old, um, but made his way back up to the Mets, had a huge pinch hit home run for them. Just a good guy and a good player. Mm -hmm. Um Billy Burns was the A center. Yeah, he for came a while. up in my mind too. Look, making this this roster. Uh, Billy Burns, one of those players, just frustrates me. <laughs> you know, your whole game is predicated on speed. Uh, why are you ever hitting the ball in the air? It's the Willie Mays Hayes from Major League thing. Every time you hit the ball in the air, you should do push-ups <laughs> because there's there's nothing good that's going to come when you hitting the ball in the air. Uh, other center fielders, Craig Gentry, Kitten Face, <laughs> uh, Colin Calgill, Brett Eibner. Sam Fold. Fan favorite, Sam Fold, Sam right? Sam Fold. He's going to be a manager someday if yeah, he wants to. No doubt. Uh, Boog Pal. Our Boog Pal, not the other Boog there Pal. You go. Came in the Alonzo trade, right? Yep. Yonder Alonzo from Seattle. And Jacob Brugman. 
from BYU, Jacob, who uh, hit his home run, his first major league home run the same day that Barreto and Olsen hit their first major league home runs in Chicago. That was quite a day. Which had never happened before. That was Three quite guys a day. That was quite a game. Hitting their first major league homer. But Coco Chris, that's your ace center fielder. No doubt about it. All right. Let's go over to right field. What so, do you got, David? So right field, I think we had some competition there. Because um, the A's haven't had that one guy who's manned that position through the decade. So guys who came up in my mind for that were Matt Joyce, who played a lot out there. Uh, Ryan Sweeney, who started the decade. Unfortunately, we called him Swingles. Because uh, he only hit singles. I feel like once a spring, I'd write a story. Sweeney would go deep in a spring training game. And it was like, maybe this is the year the power gets unleashed, <laughs> right? Because they dealt Carlos Gonzalez thinking, hey, we got something here, Ryan Sweeney. He's yeah. going to develop eventually. Another good guy, really good guy, great all-around athlete. Yes. Um, just the power never never developed. No power. Uh, for a big guy with no power, very frustrating. Uh, but my top two guys, um, Stephen Piscotti, uh, who fits the mold of a right fielder. Um, we, we know the story of why he came to the A's and the deal with his mom, but he was so productive on the field in 2018, 2019, not so much. Um, and that's why he did not get my pick as the A's right fielder. Instead, Josh Reddick takes that mantle and Josh Reddick, uh, he wins a gold glove out there. He played over 500 games, the 77 home runs, the huge year in 2012, the relationship with the fans played into this, the Spider-Man, the hitting guys with the pies after walk-off wins. Um, you know, just another good guy and a good, good baseball player who was very solid for those A's playoff teams. Now, I don't know if he'll ever match the power that he had in 2012, but he doesn't have to. Yeah. And you look, at, especially with the Astros now, he's batting 8 and ninth a lot of the time. Uh, but for the A's, you know, that 2012 team really was magical, and everything came together with Cespedes and Donaldson, and Josh Reddick was the, th the, th the third guy, the three amigos, hitting the ball out of the park and playing great defense. Yeah, No doubt about it. That's a good pick. And you know what? Okay, right field gave some consideration to Stephen Piscotty. Definitely, you're right. Has all the tools that you're looking for in a right fielder. Local guy, and a great story. Great that he got to be back here. Um, for all the for all the family reasons, great that he was back with the A's and is still with the A's and um, has a lot of tools. Gave him some consideration. For me, it came down to Josh Reddick um, and Brandon Moss actually. And the more I looked at it, this was a um, I went with Brandon Moss. Nice. So maybe not the the traditional right fielder, but he did play plenty of right field. Um, I kept going back and forth between him and Reddick, and I was thinking. How can I not have Josh Reddick as my right fielder, given the arm and the Spider-Man and all the <laughs> highlights and what he's meant to the fans, which which I give a lot of emphasis on in, in battles like this. Um, for me, even more so, I was thinking, how can I not have Brandon Moss somewhere? I kept He kept getting bounced off of first base for me, and then I just said, you know what? The offensive production for me from 2012 to 14 is what put it over the top for me, um, just his offensive production. He was a big part of that 2012 season. I mean, talk about a guy who came – for out of nowhere, out of nowhere, out of AAA um, to join the team partway through. I think it was maybe June. I it was June. It was right before the Colorado series. And the thing that was happening was Manny Ramirez was at AAA for the A's. And the A's had to make a decision whether to call up Brandon Moss or his, he had an out in his contract. Or right. were they going to call up Manny Ramirez? Yeah. And the A's made the 100% correct decision in calling up Brandon Moss. No and that series in Colorado, they end up sweeping Colorado. He had a two-homer game. He had five Horse homers, field, yeah. I believe, in that series. Um, big home runs, the 19-inning home run against the Angels. 
and then the the wild card game, the two homers, including the three run home, five RBIs. I mean, I, I gave a lot of weight to that too. Coming through on a big stage, that game should have been the Brandon Moss story. He yes. should have been the story of that wild card game. Two home runs to give what should have been enough offense. Let's not even go there. Let's not get too <laughs> wrapped up in that game. We've gone over that before, but. Uh, the three-year period from 12 to 14, 76 homers, 220 RBIs, and 844 OPS. Uh, the All-Star game in 14, the, the big wild card game. And to me, he was an underrated player in right field. I know he played a lot of first base by 14. He was playing a lot of corner outfield, too. I think he did a nice job for a guy who wasn't known and maybe even was thought of as a little bit of a liability. Sometimes you thought, well, we got to get his bat in the lineup, so we'll put him out in right field, maybe. I thought he held his own pretty well. Again, Josh Reddick, tough to not go with him. For, for me, with Reddick, the offensive production fell off a little bit too much after 2012 and some injuries factored in. Um, so I just I felt like I had to get I wanted to get Brandon Moss on this team one way or another. And he played enough right field for me, he did a good enough job. He got my, my nod at right field. Beating out the likes of David DeJesus. He was a bad A. He was part of that 2011 team, right? They brought <laughs> yes. in some veterans that year, just didn't make much of an impact. Uh, the oft injured Jake Smolinski, uh, Chris Coglin. Jeremy Hermida, and our friend who we talked about last time, Michael Taylor. Again, <laughs> physical specimen, looked right. perfect. Looked right. like it just never, never happened. That was a good one. That was a good debate right there. Right field. So, right field. So tough. we've disagreed on third base and right field so far. We've agreed elsewhere <laughs> on the diamond so far. We can go behind the plate next. We can go to DH. We're going to go catcher. Okay. And uh, we put this one out in the Twitterverse. We put a little poll out. To see what the fans thought who the A's catcher of the decade was. And we put four names out. We put Kurt Suzuki, Stephen Vogt, Derek Norris, and Josh Fegley. And a resounding win for Stephen Vogt. So Joe Stiglish, is Stephen Vogt your A's catcher of the decade? He is. And to me, this one wasn't all that tough for me. Um, you know, vote back-to-back uh, -back All Star appearances in 2015, 2016, and 16. That was a little that 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 birth that trip to the All Star game was kind of a little bit questionable, just <laughs> as far as the the stats, the back of the baseball card. But look, all those guys you mentioned, I gave consideration to them. Uh, Jonathan Lucroy too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I gave some consideration to him. The the one impactful year he had, 2018, he had a big role helping that pitching staff that year to a wild card berth. Um, but for me, Stephen Vote, the intangibles. Such a great clubhouse guy, um, and just the body work he did enough there for me. Impact bat from the left side. Um, you need a catcher who knows how to get in the head of pitchers. He worked a lot of a lot of young pitchers, and you need a guy who's kind of a soothing, got a good kind of bedside manner, I guess right. you could say, with pitchers sometimes. And for me, he was that guy. And again, um, authored one of the more iconic moments of the decade for the A's, coming through with a walk-off hit in the 2013 Game 2 ALDS um, at the Coliseum against the Tigers. What a big moment that was. That was the first year I think he was up. Mm -hmm. Kind of a Cinderella story coming up. So I think moments like that really stick out. For me, it's like, what moments stick out to you? You know, These snapshot moments throughout the decade, who came through with those moments? And if they got enough body of work surrounded around those moments, um, I'm going to go with guys like that. So for me, it was Stephen Vogt behind the plate. I think the fans got this one right. I agree. I went with Stephen Vogt too. Kurt Suzuki, who was pretty much the A's starting catcher uh, in 10, 11, and halfway through 12. Uh, but his best years with the A's were really the previous decade. Yeah. Uh, came up in mid-07, and then 8, 9, he was really, really good. And still had a, you know, obviously he's had a great career. He's a World Series champion now. Um, but Stephen Vogt in those middle years, uh, yeah, calming force, 
the two all-star appearances, some some big hits, uh, the way the fans reacted to him. I believe in Stephen Vogt. Um, yeah, I just I think it had to be Vogt. Uh, a few other catchers came up. John Jaso. Mm-hmm. Um, again, he couldn't get healthy. Right, concussion issues, yeah. You know, and he, they wanted John Jaso to take over as a catcher and just couldn't do it. Landon Powell, uh, Bruce Maxwell, didn't pan out for him. Mm-hmm. Don't put yourself in the spotlight if you can't back it up. Right. I just, uh, you know, if you're a four-time all-star and you want to take a knee, that's fine. <laughs> if you're a catcher who's trying to make the big leagues, it's still fine. I'm okay with it. But you got to now you got to back it up. Yeah. Right. And you don't come into training camp overweight and not ready to play. You don't have an off field issue. The legal issues, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The guy was arrested, you know. So, um, uh, again, I, good guy. I never personally, a good guy for me to talk to, Bruce Maxwell. Um, but obviously, everything you're saying is, is very true. You don't want to be in the headlines for the wrong reasons. Right. Um, Anthony Recker, who the A's really thought was going to be a player, now he's going to be a broadcaster. <laughs> and uh, Giovanni Soto. Giovanni yeah. Soto in 2014 was really good for the A's. And if he does not get hurt in that wild card game, maybe the Royals don't run as wildly as they do. Right. Maybe. No doubt. You're right. Catcher Stephen Vogt. We agree with that. We agree with the fans on that one. That was good to get some fan feedback on that one. Do we go to DH here? DH. Go for it. Well, uh, this one, uh, there are a bunch of guys. Uh, the guys who are not my DH are Jack Cust, who is a prototypical DH. Uh, Billy Butler, who the A spent a lot of money on for very little production. Uh, Hideki Matsui, who the A's had in 2011. 2011 team was a little interesting team. We had a lot of guys coming it in. It was. You had him, David DeJesus. Uh, you know, some other guys. was still, still yeah. around. It's kind of a strange team. Uh, how about Adam Dunn? Yeah. 2014, right? Right. After, you know, Cespedes gets traded. Yeah. Now you're in August and you realize you have no thump in the August lineup. trade acquisition. That's right. Yeah. And you get Adam Dunn. He hits a home run in his first major league, at, first Oakland A's at bat. Um, is on the playoff roster. He'd never been to the playoffs. This is a guy who hit 40 homers almost every year with the Reds and the Diamondbacks and the White Sox. And unfortunately never got in a bat. Even in the extra inning game, there wasn't a place for him to bat, which I always felt bad. I was going to be his first postseason appearance. So none of those guys are the DH. Instead, I went with Chris Davis. And yes, his first two years with the A's, he was mostly a left fielder, but he is a DH. Um, He's hit 156 home runs as an athletic. 93 of those have come as a designated hitter. Um, Powerful in that that really a second baseman's body. And I remember this, his first spring training with the A's. I was standing next to Pedro Gomez, former A's beat writer, now with ESPN. And there was a guy wearing number two in the batter's box. And we're like, who's that second baseman? Because that's what he looked like. And But just the power and the force and the clutchness, especially in 2018, where every time you needed an A's big home run, Chris Davis got a big A's home run. Especially if they're playing the Rangers. Especially if they're playing the Rangers. And you go back to his three-homer game against the Rangers, which he caps off with a walk-off grand slam. I mean, Chris Davis, he he is – we know his trouble in the outfield. He was okay tracking the ball, but he can't throw. Yeah. It became a mental thing with him. So he is a DH, and he is my DH of the decade for the A's. Yeah, I'm with you. Pretty much a no-brainer for me. Three straight 40-homer seasons, 100 RBI seasons there. Uh, just getting, getting traded from Milwaukee – 
to Oakland would just fit him like a glove, you know, being in this clubhouse. He just found his major league home. Uh, the A's signed him to extension, coming off a down year, obviously for him uh, by his standards in 2019, hoping he can give a bounce back here in 2020. But no doubt Chris Davis is your DH of the decade for the Oakland A's. Hey, we're going to take a quick break right here. Those are our position players. Pretty good offense, I think. Yeah, I think they win some games. Yeah, no doubt. We'll come back with our all-decade pitching staff here when we come back on the Green and Bold podcast. Hello out there to be man, woman, and child. This is the B-Team. I'm Nathan Eberhardt. And I'm Michael Hanna. And together we host the UCLA B-Team podcast, your go-to audio source online for news, analysis, opinion, and sometimes even jokes about UCLA Bruins sports. We're proud to be members of the Big Heads Media Network, and you can find our newest episodes every week at bigheadsmedia.com, or you can subscribe via iTunes, Google, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at UCLA B-Team, and hit us up with questions or comments. We love to interact with our listeners. So for a smart, level-headed, if sometimes it unofficial we cannot stress this enough unofficial take on the ucla bruins come join the b team back with the everybody green and bold podcast i'm joe stiglitz the man across the table from you You can't see him but you're going to hear him in a second is david feldman we just gave you our a's all decade team as far as position players and a dh now we're gonna go to the pitching staff here david and um a lot of names to sort through, okay? Because we went five starters, five four starters. relievers, so you just naturally have to build a bigger pool of candidates. And um, this was more of a struggle for me um, than picking the position players. Um, but let's just get into it, man. Why don't you go ahead and give us your your first starter here? Um, I don't. I didn't necessarily pick one through five in the rotation. I was just looking for five starters. But let's just start to tick them off here. Why don't you go ahead and start us off? So I I think the lead guy in the rotation, and I have a feeling we're going to agree on this, is Sonny Gray. Yeah, uh, Sonny was the A's. Best pitcher in the decade and the most wins, 44 wins. He went 44 and 36. His ERA at 3.44. Game five starter in 2013. Um, And in 2014, a huge game, the last game of the year. The A's needed to win to clinch that wild card spot, and he shuts out the Rangers. Just a man's up. And, and put the team on his back. And, and Sonny Gray was a really good Oakland Athletic starting pitcher, and he's my he's my number one starter. Yeah, I'm with you there. The, the only Cy Young finalist in the decade for the A's in that great 2015 season he had. How about, yeah, throwing that shutout in, in the 2014 season at, at Arlington was really something to clinch that wild card, uh, that wild card for the A's. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, pretty much a no-brainer there. Sonny Gray, for me, we agree on that one. So we got uh, Sonny Gray as a top starter on our all-decade rotation here. Just keep rolling here. Let's go. Who do you got now? Next. Number two, I went with uh, I, 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 kind of a fan favorite, um, still an ace fan favorite, I think, for everything you see on Twitter about him and everything. I went with uh, Bartolo Colon. Yes, you did. Yeah, only spent two years at the A's, 2012 and 2013, but uh, what a body of work, really impressive body of work um, with the A's during that time. Now, I realized suspended for part of the 2012 season for PED yeah. um, positive test, and that was a big deal because he was a big loss to a team that was headed to the postseason. With nothing but rookie starters when yes. they got to the postseason. Right, right, right. Jared Parker had to step Parker. up for that team. But I tell you what, if you're talking about positive influence in the clubhouse, young pitchers just raved about Bartolo as far as being able to watch him on the mound, the way he went about things as a veteran, the way he just predominantly used a fastball, really, and not much else. That's it. Just spotting that fastball. Um, the guy they could go to for advice. He was a, a veteran that guys can lean on. But the body worked too, dude. 2013, he goes 18 and 6, and that tied, those 18 wins tied for the most by an A starter in the decade. Um, his 2.65 ERA that year was the lowest ERA by a full time A starter throughout the decade. He had three shutouts that season. 
Um, just I, you know, to me, it's it's Bartolo Colon. I think he gave you so much. He was so much fun to watch. He was such an entertaining figure, and he was rock solid for a team um, going to the postseason twice a year. Even though he did miss part of that 2012 season, I couldn't keep Bartolo off this off this rotation. I'm with you. Uh, 28 and 15 with the A's with an ERA of 2.99 fastball after fastball that streak in, in in anaheim where he threw what 43 straight strikes something like yeah, that right that was incredible um, just the way he handled himself he never never got rattled very important for the a's young pitchers to see that uh the 2012 was unfortunate um and they could have used him that year but they comes back in 2013 and it's just fantastic and we talk about that game five that was the decision was it going to start bartolo cologne are you going to start right Gray? right um and they I don't think there was a wrong decision there. Um, much like this last year with Manaya and Fires. Right, it was similar. Yeah. You're, you're going to be okay. It's Unfortunately, neither one worked out. But uh, Bartolo Colon, yeah, he's, he's, he's on my starting staff. There you go. So we're two for two as far as our first uh, two of the five starters here. Why don't you give me your third starter on this all-decade team? You know what? Number three for me, and this one surprised me because I didn't realize how, how good he's been in his short time with the A's, and that is Mike Fires. Okay. Mike Fires uh, is 20 and 5 with the A's 20 and five yeah. plus the no hitter pretty good yeah ERA of 3.69 he got off to a terrible start this year and he obviously it comes back goes 21 straight starts without taking a loss um, I just it's just amazing how good he's been and the A's are very lucky that he did come back uh, the A's non-tendered him after the 2018 season he was a free agent and they gambled that he would come back to the A's and he did on a two-year deal a very team friendly two-year deal especially for as good as he's as he pitched um yeah mike fires he, he makes my starting rotation he's number three i'll tell you what mike fires is the guy who got the most consideration from me out of everybody who didn't make the team oh. yeah, everybody who didn't make the team so because of that i'm gonna give you the next starter who i was comparing him with most who i think made sense to compare him with and i went with the lefty scott casimir scott casimir yeah he, yeah he shows up as number four in my okay team. there you go that's it's gonna get funny as we kind of uh, bring up different guys who we have who we have uh, among that top five, but maybe in different slots. But um, yeah, Casimir, just a big time free agent signee in two thousand before two thousand fourteen. We didn't see the A's sign a lot of guys like this. So no. he gets a two year, twenty two million dollar deal, and he responds with an all star year that season in two thousand fourteen. Fifteen and nine, um, a three five five ERA. And I realize he tailed off a little bit that second half. Um, which is why the A's had to go out and make a couple trades. Part of the reason in the, in the, in the pitching staff, but overall, 15-9-3-5-5. He was impressive, man. Over his two years, actually only a season and a half with the A's, right. he went 20-14, and 14, a three one two ERA over 50 starts. Uh, if you want to go all sabermetric-y a little bit, a 1.133 whip, which is really good. Uh, 3-2-8 um, fit mark, field, fielding independent, independent pitching. He just, Someday he we're going to have a big podcast just about fit. Yeah, there you go. That'll be really exciting, <laughs> won't it? But uh, I tell you what pushed me over the edge, and I, I guess I could have fit fires on here too along with Casimir, but it came down for me, those two. Um, Scott Casimir's 50 starts with the A's, 21 of them, he went seven-plus innings, and that, that, that holds a lot of weight for me. Um, and you know what? He brought back a nice little in a trade to Houston, brought back Jacob Nottingham and Daniel Mangdon. Yeah. Um, in that trade. Nottingham eventually got spun in that trade in Milwaukee. They brought back Chris Davis. But Scott Casimir, for having a short tenure um, on a big-money contract, kind of gave the A's everything they were hoping to get from a guy like Ben Sheets a few years earlier, who also got a one-year big-money contract. Scott Casimir came through and made that money well worth it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed having Scott Casimir on these A's teams, and he made my, my starting staff because he was. He was he had a presence on the mound. This was a guy who was up. When he first came up with the Rays, and they were the Devil Rays at the time, uh, he was a flamethrower. 
and he had to change. He had to readjust to not having that that hard 90s fastball, and he became a pitcher and a really good pitcher. And it was a joy to watch on the mound. He had some rough years with the Angels before he got to Oakland, and it looked like his career was going to be over. But he reinvented himself, and he was tremendous. A 3.12 ERA with the A's. Um, yeah, I love Scott Kazmir. That's why he made my rotation. No doubt about it. Okay, we've got four years so far. We've got four. Sonny, Bartolo, Kazmir, and, and Fires. i got to give you my fourth now. I went with uh, second lefty in this rotation to accompany Kazmir. I went with Gio Gonzalez. Um, came to the A's, kind of a high-profile prospect from the White Sox. That Nick Swisher trade, we're going back now after the 08 season. And Gio was always a, a big-time prospect. You're wondering, is he going to put it together eventually? Uh, the temperament was a little little off a little bit when he first came up to the big leagues a little bit. Lost his cool a little bit at times on the mound, his composure, and you could see that a little bit. But for me, he eventually he developed into quite a pitcher um, in 2010 and 2011, back-to-back 200-inning seasons. Uh, he was an all-star in 2011, and in those years combined went 31-21 and 21 with a 317 ERA in 65 starts. Uh, to me, just kind of uh, – a guy the A's expected a lot from him when they got him in a trade, and eventually he kind of developed into that big-time pitcher and continued on after he got traded from the A's to the Nationals in 2012. Has gone on to a really impressive career all throughout this decade. But uh, for me, those two years, uh, again, for this whole debate, for me, the, the A's have always had good depth in starting pitching, but but not a lot of just surefire studs that jump out at you. So that's why it was a challenge for me. Um, but Gio, those two years, he's got an all-star berth. I went with him as my uh, four starter on this on this rotation. Yeah, he made it in my rotation as the fifth guy, uh, and the same reasons really. A guy who, when he first came over to the A's, he had already been traded three times by the time he got to Oakland. Uh, so people wanted him, and they and they were looking for this guy to to be this rock in the rotation, a left-handed starter. And it took him a while to mature and become that starting pitcher. But starting in 2010, he was he was kind of an ace on the mound. Uh, you always felt you, you had a chance to win. Uh, 200 innings, both in 2010 and 2011. Um, cut down the walks, got the strikeouts up, uh, kept the home runs to a minimum. I said he was a very, very good left-handed starter for the Athletics. Somebody who, at the beginning of the 2019 season, I was hoping the A's would look to bring back. Uh, he'd finished 2018 with Milwaukee um, after a lot of years with the Nationals um, and pitched well. But he ended up signing a minor league deal with the Yankees. Uh, that didn't work out. He went back to Milwaukee, and he, you know, this last year he pitched what eighty-seven innings, seventeen starts, went three and two with an ERA uh, three and a half. I mean, he's just always effective. I mean, he'll have some games where he just blows up, but over the course of a season, Gio Gonzalez comes through, and he definitely came through for the A's. So we agreed on four starters. We agreed. We had the so, same four yes. starters so far. Okay, so my fifth, you had Mike Fires. I went with Trevor Cahill. Um, Another starter who kind of grew up before our eyes in an A's uniform, broke into the rotation, just 21 years old. Him and Brett Anderson are both in the rotation in 2009 to start that season. But it was 2010, Trevor really kind of came into his own, um, became an all-star for the A's in 2010, 18-8 record. Again, um, tying Bartolo, those 18 wins, the most by a starter in the decade, uh, 297 ERA that year to get him the all-star. Now, in two years, 2010-2011, before he was traded, to the Diamondbacks combined to go 30 and 22 with a 3.58 ERA and 64 starts. Not fantastic. Doesn't blow you away. He gets bonus points for coming back to the A's in 2018, um, and really playing a big factor in the rotation that year when the A's needed him. He went seven and four, 3.76 ERA in 21 games. 20 of those were starts. So, for me, he just kind of had a, a nice body of work throughout this decade at the beginning, towards the end, and 
Fires could have easily landed on this list. I think for me, I was looking for guys who, when I look at them and I look at their careers, I think of them as, as their A's. You know, I'm always going to think of Geo as an Oakland athletic. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to think of Trevor Cahill that way, too. Mike Fires may, he may finish his career with the A's. He may continue to do great things, and I'll associate him with the A's. Right now, I still think of him as kind of um, just a veteran who's been added to the team, added to the mix a little bit. So I went with Trevor as my fifth guy. Uh, Trevor finished sixth, just mixed. I kind of went back and forth between him and Geo, actually. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I just like those two years at Geo, 200 innings, both those years. Uh, other guys who just missed for me, uh, Brett Anderson, mm-hmm. Sean Manaya, Brandon McCarthy, Tommy Malone, Kendall Graveman, who actually was an opening day starter back he in was. those years. He was. Uh, Jared Parker, who's just the saddest of stories, and uh, Dallas Braden. Yeah. Uh, they were all considered. Uh, as you see, the A's haven't had a real starting pitcher who's been consistent over a lot of years. Not like a Marcus Simeon, who's for five years has been the A's shortstop. The A's rotation has been in flux pretty much that whole decade. Uh, guys last one or two years, and then it turns over. That's where I think Sean Manaya might be able to step up and be that guy who's here for, for a long run. Yep. And we'll see when we talk about the decade of the 2020s if Sean Manaya is going to end up being part of that. A's team of the decade. Crazy thing is, that's going to be here before you know it. Yeah. It's going to be here quicker than we think it's going to be here that we want to admit, right? Should we go to the bullpen here with four relievers? Four relievers. Why don't you start us off here in the bullpen? All right. So four relievers, and I kind of went with mostly closers for my four guys. And the first one I went with was Sean Doolittle. Uh, Sean Doolittle, as you know the story, drafted as a first baseman, had the knee problem, reinvented himself as a pitcher, and was really good for the A's. Uh, 300 strikeouts in 253 innings. An ERA of just over three. Held opponents batting average at 205. Wasn't always a closer. Uh, he was a middle reliever. He was an eighth inning guy. He was also a closer. I, I think he just did everything. and He did everything well for the A's. And again, it was sort of a... When you think of the A's and finding guys, find, finding diamonds in the rough, uh, Sean Doolittle's that guy, right? Just... You think his career's over. His first baseman, knee, done, and he reinvents himself, and it's a great story. And another fan favorite. Playing Metallica, the right field bleachers going nuts as he comes in. The whole the whole scene uh, with, with Doolittle. I, I just think he was so important. So he, he makes my, uh, my A's bullpen. There you go. I need a cough button here. I was <laughs> coughing a little bit, trying to not get that on the mic. Um, yeah, I'm with you on Doolittle. He's one of my four relievers. Uh, for a lot of the reasons, you explained it well. For a lot of the reasons you say, he was uh, just a great story, great find, a guy who we thought his career was sidetracked. He was a big-time prospect as a first baseman, yeah. too, coming up through the A system. Reinvents himself as a pitcher and immediately comes up to the major leagues. It makes an impact in that 2012 season. And you think back to to uh, the end of 2012 and the A's were going, closing out the, the Rangers. You know, They had a great, a great three-headed bullpen monster with uh, a couple of the guys – who may or may not be on my list. A couple of them we'll see, or one of them maybe we'll see. You had, you had Ryan Cook, Grant Balfour, and Sean Doolittle. Doolittle is a big part of that. And you're right, a fan favorite. Dominant. Put up great numbers. A lot of strikeouts, few walks. I'm with you there on Sean Doolittle. Yeah, and you just mentioned my number two, and that's Grant Balfour. Yeah. Uh, you know, Balfour, when he first comes to the A's, he's not a closer. And this is 2011. Uh, and the A's closer that year was Andrew Bailey, who had 24 saves. Uh, this was f- former rookie of the year. Uh, and they also used uh, Brian Fuentes a lot to close. Um, but Balfour wanted to be a closer. And in 2012, uh, he kind of forced the A's hands. He forced Bob Melvin's hand to make him the closer. And he was tremendous. 24 out of 26. Uh, ERA of 2.5. A whip under one. 
Um, 2013 backs it up with 38 saves and 41 opportunities. So think about that. That's that's it. That's five blown saves over two years. That's fantastic. And he had that presence on the mound. Again, right field bleachers going nuts with Balfour. Um, you can almost see the smoke coming out of his ears. Yeah. He looked like a closer supposed to look. He's scary. He looks like he's out of control. And that's the great close. That's the goose gossages of the world, right? Um, that's what you want. You want a guy who just looks like he's just mean, he's out of control, he's just throwing smoke, and he's just blowing you away. And that's what Balfour was. I, I just, he was exactly what the A's needed. They didn't need Brian Fuentes on the mound. Brian Fuentes gave you no confidence, right? Soft tossing lefty, and you're, you're hoping to get out of it. Andrew Bailey was very good. Injuries came and, and, and bit him, uh, and Balfour took the reins and ran with it, and, and good for him. I gave Bailey a lot of consideration for this bullpen, actually. His one great year was also in 2009, so that's yeah. part of his body of work I couldn't really consider. But Balfour, to me, was a slam dunk. He was the first reliever that made this list for me, the first guy um, I thought of. And, uh, yeah, primary closer. A big subplot of that 2012 season in the first half before the A's caught fire was trying to settle down that, that ninth inning spot. Because you're right, Fuentes was very erratic. Ryan Cook was in and out a little right. bit. Um, Grant Balfour was a guy who really solidified things. And you're the primary closer for a team that goes to the post season back-to-back years wins two divisions 62 saves um in 2012 and 2013 he's the guy from you're right balfour rage uh he was kind of the epitome of so much that was so feel good and it went right during that three-year stretch of postseason run so grant balfour is uh my second reliever on this list here so we got doolittle we have grant balfour am i starting off number three here? yeah i'll start off number three and i went with um a current guy from the team i went with blake trinan and I was wondering whether or not I should because the body work has been a little bit Jekyll and Hyde, obviously. He's coming off a, a shaky 2019 season. Um, but his 2008 season was so incredible and so historic for the A's that uh, I, I couldn't leave him off this list. The 38 saves, the 078 ERA, um, 100 strikeouts and 80 and a third innings that pitched. He was an all-star. Um, he was just so good, um, so historically good for a franchise that has great, historically great closers. Um, and for that one season, that one body work, he was pretty good in 2017, too, when he came to the A's along with Ryan Madsen in that trade. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Ryan Madsen went to the Nationals right. in that trade that brought Trinan and, and Noisy and, uh, and Luzardo. But, no, Blake Trinan was so good. I just, boy, I, I couldn't keep him off, off this list. His story is still unfinished, I realize. Yep. His book has not been finished with the A's yet, but... Boy, that 2018 season was something magical, and I had to go with Blake Trinan. I, I'm with you with Blake Trinan, and, and part of that is because of the end of the two, 2017 season. He went six, uh, 13 for 16 in saves. You know, he came in and kind of took that job. The A's traded Doolittle. They traded Madsen. They bring in Trinan. Here you go. Trinan failed as a closer with the Nationals. It didn't work out. They tried him a couple different times, and he just never took. But we saw it there at the end of 2017 that this is this is the guy. And then the 2018 season, of course, historic. Now, last year was tough, but even in a tough year, he still had 16 saves. You know, he was he was struggling, but he was able to get out of it in the early part of the season. Then it kind of fell apart for him. His story's not yet written with the A's. Um, we've talked about before with the A's. Are, going, are they going to tender him? He's arbitration eligible. Are they going to spend the money on him? I'm not sure. Right. Um, my gut says they won't, but... You know, when he was there and he was healthy, he was really, really good. And the 28th season, he was more than really good. He was phenomenal. So, yeah, he makes my bullpen as well. And you know what? Whether he's here in 2020 or not, guess what? The decade's over, right? So he did enough to make our list. So we got one more reliever left in this all-decade team. Why don't you you start it off there? So 
I went with Liam Hendricks. Okay. And not just because of last year, although last year was 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 really good. But he's been part of the Saves bullpen for a while now. He has now. been. He and, has been. And, you know, you think about it, he's thrown 227 innings with the A's. Uh, and he's had 286 strikeouts in that time. Uh, opponent batting average of 236. He's always been effective. Now he's been up and down. I mean, we know he was basically designated there in 2018 the A's had given up on him um but he came back and he came back as this opener and he was very good for the A's in September and then last year as a closer took it and ran with it became an all-star because of it um but he's been with the A's for a while now and he's been with the one guy in the bullpen that you could for the most part count on I know there were there were some bad outings as well but over time I think Liam Hendricks has been very good that's a good pick right there. Good pick. He's been a big guy. You're right. He's been a part of this team, a part of the fabric of that bullpen, that pitching staff, longer than I think we realize, right? Yeah. Um, and I think maybe part of me wanted to get away from the closer mold a little bit maybe, but um, I went with uh, a current athletic. I went with Yusmero Petit. Ooh. Um, I think it's easy for, to take for granted how much he's meant to this bullpen the past couple of years, um, but to me he's the perfect piece for this bullpen in a day and age where you need your relievers to be flexible to be able to do a lot of different things, to go multiple innings sometimes when you need it. Um, and at a time when the bullpens are so, so important to a team's success. And I realize the bullpen was kind of up and down this year, but Petit was one guy who's been rock steady for this team, even this past season. Um, starting pitchers just aren't going real deep right now. If you look at his body work the past two years of the A's. Petit has made 154 appearances this season. I mean, these past two seasons. Yeah. He's thrown 176 innings out of the bullpen, a 2.86 ERA. In those 176 innings, just 56 earned runs, 147 Ks, just 28 walks. So to me, I look at a lot of the relievers over the course of this decade, and there's been a lot of great moments for a lot of relievers. There's been a lot of volatility, too, with most of these relievers. They've had some ups. They've had some downs. So I went with kind of a, maybe an unsung hero of the bullpen the past couple of years. I went Petit. I just like the two-year body work, all the flexibility he gives the A's and Bob Melvin. Um, he gets my last spot. I like it. That's a good pick. Uh, he's been very effective the last two years. And, and you're right about a guy who can go multiple innings, which has been so important in the, in the way baseball's played now. So that's a good pick. I, I, guys that didn't make it for me, uh, Ryan Cook thought about it. Um, and if I was going to go for just kind of a, a middle reliever, an important part, it was Jerry Blevins. Yeah. Early in the decade. I'll tell you what, I looked at his numbers pretty good. He was pretty, pretty good. Pretty good numbers. You know, and he, he almost came back to the A's. He, he actually went to Japan with the A's here in 2019. Uh, thought he had a chance to make the team. It didn't didn't work out. He went to Atlanta. Uh, but Jerry Blevins was a guy that I thought of. Bullpen's interesting, especially when you do like a team of the decade. Is it all closers? Or are you actually trying right. to pull it out like a right, roster? Right, right, right. Uh, but this bullpen, if we have Doolittle, Balfour, Trinan, Hendricks, and Petit. Yeah. I think that'd be a pretty good bullpen. Yeah, I'm glad we got a lefty on there. Had to go with Dutu. His The numbers warranted it. I also want to get a left-hander on there, so... Um, no, it's a pretty good bullpen. I think a pretty yeah. good bullpen we got right there. Hey, man, that does it. I don't know if we're going to uh, – we, we could have gone with some bench guys, but you know what? It's, uh, we're kind of going cream of the crop here. I think we're going cream, cream of the, the crop. crop here. You know what? We Nick gone. Punto, yeah. he, can, he can rest. <laughs> right? He's okay. Right, right, uh, right. No, I, I think it's a pretty good team. It's been – it you know, you look back at this A's decade, right, five playoff appearances in the 10 years. You like that? A 50% conversion rate? That's pretty good. A lot of teams can't say that, especially for a team with, as we know, with the A's, their payroll. Um, you wouldn't expect that. Uh, and the A's came through. Um, five playoff appearances. How many yep. appearances did the Giants have in the playoffs? Would that be four, I believe? Only four. Now they got the three World Series, and they can boast that, and good for them. But the A's went to the playoffs more times. Right. They did. 
So just, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. In the yeah, decade. no, good way to put it. And it, the, the postseason burst came kind of the beginning of the decade, kind of at the end, kind of different eras. This decade kind of went through different <laughs> ebbs and flows, it right, did. for the A's in this decade. Very A's-like, right? right? Being very good and then being kind of bad. Yeah. Uh, but then coming back up and being good again. And I think going into the 2020 season, and I really, truly believe this, this is one of the best teams in baseball. Yeah. And that's right now before all the moves have been made. Um, don't know who they're going to add. Don't really know who they're going to lose, but what they have and who we know who's coming back, they are set up to succeed. No doubt, no doubt. Starting with the starting pitching staff, right? If you start with the five they've got in line right now, that's a great starting point for the beginning of your offseason. Yep, your starting pitching, your infielders, and a couple of your outfielders, they are in great shape. Yeah, some young talent in the waiting in the minor leagues too, the AAA level. So that's a good all-decade team, man. This is fun, Feldy. I liked it. This is good. We'll do it in 10 years. We'll do the uh, the next decade. That's a date. All right, That's I like a it. All right, man. You, you, uh, we're going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, we're at, uh, at Green and Bold one on Twitter, and uh, we'll be back soon. Look, probably looking at some more hot stove stuff on our next episode. We'll get some more Twitter mailbag stuff. We enjoyed that last time. Thanks for hanging in with us. We're on iTunes, a.k.a. Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts now, the Google Podcast app. Um, it's getting tougher and tougher to avoid us, David. Tougher no. and tougher to avoid us. And like we say, find us. Uh, leave a review, leave a rating, give us five stars. That helps us. Even if you don't like us, give us five stars and then tell us why in the reviews. It keeps us in the top of the list when people look for A's uh, podcast. Uh, interact with us on Twitter. Uh, ask us questions. Uh, tell us what you like, what you don't like, who you who agree with or don't agree with with this team. Uh, this podcast, you're part of it. So please join in. We love the feedback, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.